Hey, and welcome back to the Redbeard Outdoors podcast. I'm Jonathan, your host. Here at Redbeard Outdoors, I talk about faith, family, fitness, and the outdoors. I want to share my journey with you. I want you to enjoy the conversations that I have so that you can also enjoy your own journey through this crazy adventure we call life as we're trying to get better as individuals, whether that be spouses, parents, just better versions of ourselves. I'm on that journey. I want to share that with you. So today I have an amazing conversation to share with you guys. If you are in the archery industry at all, as in you shoot a bow, you go to hunt with a bow, uh, you've heard of Iron Will Bill. He is our guest today. So today being Saturday, I've got that amazing conversation with Bill from Iron Will. And on Tuesdays, I do gear reviews. So, uh, well, not just gear reviews. I do tinkering Tuesdays. So sometimes it's mindset. Sometimes it's an event that I went to. And sometimes it's a physical piece of gear so that you can nerd out on gear just like I do. And I love sharing those reviews with you because it's very similar to if you were sitting here in the room with me, just like I do with my friends. Whenever I find something that I'm passionate about, excited about, I want to share it with you and get you a discount. So that's what I do. I share the gear that I use, that I have used, or my first impressions, and I leave you discounts down below. So if there's anything that you're looking for, anything that I've spoken about in the past, check out the description down below before you go order so you could save yourself some money. With that being said, guys, Iron Will Bill. Man, he is a stud of an individual. He goes out and he gets after it, but he's just another one of those guys that And he found something in his arrows in the componentry that he was using, and he has turned that into a company. He has made something that he looked at something and said, I can do that better. And he went and did it. So I'm loving the broadheads that I've got personally, the Iron Will 125 single bevel with bleeders, uh, broadheads that I'm going to be rocking in my quiver for my fixed heads this year. And uh, you guys are going to love this conversation as we nerd out about gear. We nerd out about all the different things that we've got going on with our arrows and why Iron Will Bill started his company. So tune in. Definitely, if you get something out of this conversation, follow the conversation, follow the podcast, wherever you're listening to this. Go over to YouTube, subscribe to the YouTube channel and watch this live or maybe not live, but in person, face-to-face. You can see our reactions and watch the conversation as if you're there as well. All good options. Hope you guys enjoy this conversation. And here is Bill from Iron Will. Everybody, and welcome back to the Redbeard Outdoors podcast. I've got an amazing guest for you guys today. It's Bill Vanderheiden. And he is, you guys may know him as Iron Will Bill. Uh, He does some amazing work with broadheads and components and uh, also has done some fletchings here recently that we're going to get into. He knows way too much information for me to even be able to comprehend. Uh, He's one of those guys that's really smart. You get him in the room and you're just enthralled by all the information that he knows. Uh, But Bill, who are you? What are your kind of credentials? For people that may not know you, I know you're a, a mechanical engineer, right? Right, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, thanks, Jonathan. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to talking to you here. Um, I'm, I'm a mechanical engineer. Um, I've been one for, I don't know, 30 years or so now, I think. I developed products for other companies for 
many years before um for starting to develop broadheads and and then and launch a company um yeah i'm i'm a big time bow hunter i just love bow hunting i want to get better at it all the time and just trying to develop products to make me more effective at it really well that's awesome so being a mechanical engineer uh you know that gives you a lot of of, of background with you know basically just engineering new products and, and things along those lines. Um, so my brother is a civil engineer, so he goes out and makes sure that bridges aren't going to collapse on you, but kind of explain, uh, what mechanical engineering does, uh, you know, and, and maybe some things that you've worked on that people might recognize outside of your broadhead company. Um, you know, that kind of let people know what you, what you do, what is a mechanical engineer? Yeah. Mechanical engineer is, you know, it's, it's pretty broad. Um, but in general, like the areas that I focused in the most were like, you know, machine design, components, design, um, materials, mechanics of materials, um, like, you know, stresses and strains, how, how to design a component to, to take some kind of force or loading, not break. You know, that's all part of mechanical engineering. Um, machine design, mechanism design, you know, how, how components are going to fit together and be assembled. And, um, you know, that could be part of it too. There's, um, you know, computer modeling for, for stress strain for, uh, I should say, so like fluid dynamics, that's also within mechanical engineering, um, like airflow or, um, over broadheads, veins, things like that. That's something that, you know, you study in mechanical engineering. You can study, you know, how that fluid flows, and so you know, air. I get this question sometimes, but air is a fluid too. So air and air, air and liquids are both fluids, or gases and liquids are both fluids. So I'm talking about air when I'm talking about broadheads. So um, you know, you can look at the airflow over it and how pressure is created on it, how it's going to cause it to spin or lift or you know, or move from that. Um, so you know vibration um sound um those are all within mechanical engineering you know there's also like thermal um air conditioning thermodynamics all that that stuff which i'm not so interested in but all the uh you know the mechanics the the component design the and you know there's a lot of materials too like mechanics and materials like how they act under stress strain um how to choose the best materials for you know, the job, what happens in the, with the microstructure, say, of during heat treat of steels, all that, that's kind of all within mechanical engineering. So, you know, engineering is a really applied science. Mechanical engineering is applying physics for the most part that has to do with, um, you know, an actual physical part versus like electrical engineering is more like, you know, electrical flow, chemical engineering is more like, uh, you know, the chemistry part of it, um, civil engineering is, it's almost like a, it has a lot of overlap with mechanical engineering, but it's mostly going to be for like bridges, structures, things like that. A lot of it is going to be, you know, make it to code and not so much design something from scratch, you know, with the blank sheet of paper and design and develop it, but, um, it can be, but yeah, mechanical engineering is really for broadhead design, you know, any, really any, Thing bow arrow archery um related mechanical engineering is is the correct field i would say for doing that kind of stuff no that's awesome that that's really cool and that again guys like i was saying he's he's got a lot of 
experience and knowledge uh, combined. And it's hard to to find that in a lot of fields because there's a lot of people that have a lot of book smarts and then there's some people that have the knowledge. But when you can find it combined in a human being, I mean, it really makes you want to want to have a conversation with with someone like that. And that's, again, while I brought Bill on because Bill has done something that uh, he's passionate about and turned that passion and his knowledge into this company, which is Iron Will, which a lot of you guys out there will know of Iron Will with being the um, two blade broadheads uh, or with bleeders. Um, and I've got some here, just this one right here. This is the single bevel with bleeders, or you might recognize this logo right here. All right. So with that being said, why, why did you get into a market that was so saturated with broadheads. I mean, you can go on Amazon, you can go to any store, Cabela's, wherever, and buy and and walk for for days and see broadheads. Uh, why did you choose to get into such a saturated market uh, with your knowledge and passion for bow hunting? Yeah, I didn't get into it. I didn't start a company like most do, probably that are more businessmen that like see a like. An opportunity to make money for me it wasn't that it was i see a need for a better broadhead for me personally um after having a broadhead fail to penetrate an, an elk shoulder blade i wanted to engineer a better product you know for me personally really to be a more effective bow hunter and i i was kind of just devastated that i didn't penetrate this scapula it's not that thick of a bone and you know i could have had this nice bowl and instead i had just the heartbreak you know after years of work so um to me it was really all about just making a better product and then after finding out you know after many years of iterating and, and making it better and better i got to a point where <clears throat> it penetrated bone like unbelievably well to me um it would i was getting i can get a pass through on a double shoulder blade hit on an elk for instance um i shot a i shot a uh a pig, a big boar, um, a few days ago and right through the knuckle, actually two to three inches of bone sliced completely through it, kept going. Um, and it, uh, it looked like new. And so when I realized what performance you can really get with the right materials and enough engineering, I had a product that I, I thought, you know, I want to share this with, with others. And for one, all my friends and, and, and family was wanting me to sharpened broadheads for them over and over. And I thought I need to get this into production. Um, but really it was, it was to try and meet a personal need. And I thought, um, there really could be a much better broadhead. Every, all the other, even though there's 50 to 75 new broadheads per year, to me, they're really kind of all the same junk. It's, um, they're using low cost manufacturing, low cost materials. And, you know, then they're trying to make them so they can, you know, make them for a few bucks and, and sell them for, you know, 10 or 15 bucks. Um, and that's really not what I wanted. I wanted something that would perform above and beyond anything that was out there. So, and when I, when I launched the company and I would talk to people about it, they were in the industry and knew and they're like, Oh, broadheads. No, not a, not a good area to go in. <laughs> it's saturated. There's too much, too many of them, too much stuff going on. I'm like, well, I'm not really a businessman here. I'm just an engineer trying to make better products. And we'll see if, if, you know, and based on that feedback, I didn't think they were really going to sell and take off at the price point we had, but you know, they did, we we've grown a lot in the six years or so now, um, since launch. Yeah, no, exactly. And you know, I, it's, it's really cool to me when 
you find people like yourself that had an issue, unfortunately, and it sucks that you lost that bull, but that you're instead of sitting there moping about it, and that's going to be your story that you tell your your grandkids and sit around the fire and drinking a beer, talking about the bull that got away. You are the other way where you're like, okay, that sucked. Now, how can I make that not happen for me? And not only just for me, but for other people as well. And then you go out there and you test it. So you get down to Texas. And for those of you that don't know, and I'm, I'm trying to make this more of a, a thing for me as well, you can go down to Texas and yes, it's a little bit of pay to play um, or who you know, but with Texas, you can basically hunt year round and you can go out and test your gear. If you have the time and the money to be able to get down there, uh, definitely highly recommend that. Like what you were saying, you were down there testing your products with different animals. And so that's really cool. Uh, now at the, when you're mentioning price point, it's, it's definitely, uh, your broadheads are premier broadheads. If you want to, whatever the classification is of the, the more expensive broadheads, people are probably going to look at them and get a little bit of a sticker shock, but I will say, um, that your broadheads fly really well from my testing. Uh, and it's, it's limited. I'm not, you know, some expert, whatever in, in archery, but from what I could tell, it definitely flies better. The aerodynamics are great and I haven't had a chance to put them through an animal, but sounds like you just put one through a knuckle of a boar, which again, if anyone knows anything about pigs, you'll know that those things are built like tanks. Even their scapulas are thicker than, than most scapulas. And so, um, that's pretty cool that you're able to put it through that pig and then find it and see that it was still sharp and good to go. So why, um, I mean, you, you just mentioned that you, you wanted to go with the premier product because you weren't necessarily trying to make a buck off of this. You were, you were trying to find a good product that would work. Um, you started out with the two blade. Did you have bleeders on your first version? Uh, we did not. Our first prototypes. No, we didn't mm -hmm. for probably a couple of years of development. I did not have bleeders. I was just going for max penetration. Wanted to make sure I can get through that shoulder bone anywhere I hit it and get to the vitals and, um, you know, get the quick kill. And yeah, after two years of testing on, on a lot of deer, um, primarily whitetails at that point, um, we saw that just once in a while you get a very poor blood trail with just a straight two blade. And, and my, my brother, Tim, he, I think he shot, he shot dozens of whitetails with his head. I think he'd probably shot 50 by the time we launched. Um, but he was really pushing me that, um, we should add a bleeder. There's just, sometimes it's a very poor blood trail and I didn't want to, I, I didn't want to compromise structural integrity or anything like that of the, of the whole thing. And I, I iterated on it, um, a few different times before I finally got um, you know, an assembly, a location of the bleeder, an assembly that I felt like, okay, this does not compromise strength of the broadhead at all. It's not, it's not reducing penetration or minimal reduction in penetration. I would say with it being set back and the size of it didn't really affect flight. And then it was getting that cross cut and opening up holes for much better blood trails, um, in general. So yeah, it's something I didn't want to do, but in the end, uh, it was the right thing to do. And yeah, I love them now. I, I, um, I recommend them for really everything in North America at this point. We make them with and without if you don't want them, but I, I recommend them unless you're going after like Cape Buffalo or Hippo or something where just maximum penetration is all that all that matters. 
No, for sure. There, uh, you know, and for those that didn't get a chance to, I know I popped one up here. So here's the other case that you guys offer. It's the plastic. Um, it's pretty, it's not just plastic. It's a, what's the technical name of this case? The material? It's, a, it's an, it's ABS. So it's kind of a engineered plastic. Um, we were using, um, a thicker polyethylene one, but I knew I could get the same strength and have it be a more compact and lighter for people that want to throw their pack on a, on a backpack hunt or anything like that. Yeah. So, yeah. So what, eight. so what Bill's talking about here with the bleeders for those that may not be familiar with his broadheads are these two little blades right here on the sides. And this blade that I'm showing right here, this broadhead is the single bevel. Um, which we'll, I guess we'll talk about that here because you started with the double bevel. Um, so a bevel on both sides, those who aren't familiar with that, this right here, whatever you can see on camera, um, there's that single bevel where it's just basically sharpened on one side and it's opposite sides of, of the broadhead. Yeah, here's the, there. Uh, so here's a, that's, that's the one twenty five head. I think you're holding there. And so just for comparison, this is a double bevel where you can see bevels on both on both sides there yep. and it's really the same blade on these two it's just a single bevel versus double bevel grind so you started with the double bevel which is obviously great for penetration which you explained that really well that that was the main purpose of the broadhead was to be able to penetrate wherever you put it through the animal and then you kind of noticed there were some poor blood trails which that in some animals, not most, but in some instances, and that can be a deal breaker. Why a lot of people don't like the two blade broadheads, why they want a three blade or a mechanical people preach about mechanicals because they open up a bigger hole, easier blood trail, more trauma, etc. So, um, talk about that transition where you started looking from the double bevel to a single bevel and why, that's important for some people. And then from your testing as well, why that single bevel is pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah. Like you, like you mentioned, I started with double bevel, you know, I tested both of them. I, um, I tested a lot of broadheads for a couple of years before I started developing my own. And, you know, there was the Ashby studies that, that I'd read back then saying a single bevel, um, with the rotation torques and pops apart bone better gets better penetration um but in my own testing i wasn't really seeing that i saw the single bevel and double bevel both were popping bone apart and it could be the just the speed difference between dr ashby's longbow and um you know my compound bow at the time but i saw both were penetrating bone really well and i liked the i think a double bevel is inherently has inherently a bit better like durability and sharpness combination when you grind both sides and you're cutting through something you've got kind of equal pressure on both sides so you're cutting through bone for instance and it's less likely to um you know where's a single bevel all the pressure's on one side and it's it's more likely to want to bend over or break if the steel's not strong enough mm -hmm. to hold it so I think a double bevel is inherently a bit stronger. You grind both sides and we do a multi-stage grinding, honing, get it extremely sharp. I, I kind of like that whole sharpening process um, a little better too. Um, but yes, single bevels were getting very popular. A lot of people were asking us for them. And I decided to take an, another look at them. And really I'd been testing single bevels that I didn't make. You know, these are from other companies. So I thought, 
Well, what I should really do to get an apples to apples comparison is make the best single bevel I can compare it to our double bevel and, and either see, yes, it's, it's inferior and we're not going to make it, or mm -hmm. there's a good reason to, to go to market with it too. And so, yeah, a couple years of testing, I really started liking them um, because of the, the rotation with them and how it, interesting how it kind of opens up holes. I've shot a lot of deer and elk where it's, you know, the hole is, is kind of square where it goes in because that single bevel with their single bevel bleeders too, and it all rotating, it, it does a nice job of opening up those holes in the hide, does more tissue damage through. And I was concerned there would be less penetration because of that pressure on one side and then the kind of the torque required to rotate it through there. You know, in theory, I think that sounds like it would take some energy and go through penetrate less. But in reality, I don't really see that. And I think it's because you got that rotational momentum of the arrow already providing some of that torque as it goes through. And man, they've, they've been penetrating great. Um, so I go back and forth between single bevel, double bevel on my own hunting, testing. And, um, you know, I think it's almost personal preference. They both perform really well. They both penetrate really well. They're both going through bone, um, really undamaged. So I did say I, have to, I had to go up in a single bevel. I started at a 25 degree after talking to Dr. Ashby quite a bit, getting his input. I started with a 25 degree angle and increased it up to 32 to make it strong enough. I felt to be able to really pound through bone or even hit like small rocks and things in the dirt and maintain that edge, not break, not break away that edge. But at that 32 degree angle, um, yeah, I think it performs really well at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to put, put it into actual testing in, in the field and, and see how it goes, but you can definitely tell. So, uh, kind of, for those of you guys that may not understand that little, this side right here that isn't sharpened um, is what he's talking about being weak. And if you don't have, oh, sorry, this side that isn't necessarily sharpened um, might end up being a little weak on if you don't have the right materials. And so it can bend over, you know, get a little curl in it, which would cause it to be less sharp, et cetera. Um, so, with that being said, and I love the fact that you went back and tested it. And then again, with the mindset of I'm going to create the best single bevel and not just test other people's stuff. Um, have you noticed a difference in um, trauma, like when you open up an animal between the single bevel and the double bevel? Yeah, it looks a bit different. I mean, our single bevel, uh, I mean, our double bevel, you get very clean cuts all the way through. And that's one thing. I in talking to other guys that test a bunch of broadheads, like like um, Cody Greenwood at Trad Lab, for instance, he'll he'll push different like broad. He'll do the you know do a autopsy or necropsy, I think is the correct name, but, and then look at see how did it cut the organs. Um, then he'll also like, and I've done this as well, just push like the broadhead through like a liver or a heart later and see what happens. Um, a lot of heads you'll get like a hole, but they won't cut. The blades won't cut all the way because they aren't sharp enough to cut. They push a lot of tissue aside. And what I see with our double bevels is you get you get cuts the full size of the blades all the way through. They both do a really good job of slicing all the way through. Um, our single bevels, there's some rotation going on. So it's kind of like twisting the tissue as it cuts. Mm. So it's, it's um, yeah, it's almost like these curved cuts through there. And it does it does a bit more. Um, 
you know, there's a bit more trauma there, a bit more um, damage, I would say, is this going through. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, they both are doing, they're both slicing well, quick kills. Um, but yeah, some people are uh, excited about having that rotation, maybe more damage, bigger, more open holes, and then are, are choosing a single bevel for that reason. Right. And then the injury and exit holes on, on an animal as well. Are you noticing, you were saying with the single bevel, you notice more of a square entrance and exit than with the single or with the double bevel? Yeah, the double bubble is pretty much a, uh, you know, a cross shaped and then the corners kind of pull back because um, they're, you think about if you're slicing um, in, you know, in two directions, like a cross and those inner inside corners, there's no tension kind of holding them in anymore. So they pull back and you end up with a hole, but you can really see that, that cross kind of shape through the hide. Um, and, you know, sometimes it opens up a bit more than others, but generally that's the kind of shape to it. And uh, with that rotation, it's, it's, some of them have been perfectly square. I don't know if I have a, I'll actually, I don't know if I can hold up a photo and have you see it, but, um, it's been, um, I can't say I understand, I completely understand what, how it gets to like almost a perfect square cut when it's rotating, but, but, um, I've seen it on a number of, of deer and elk that I've shot now. And, let me see here. And with that, with, with that hole being bigger, obviously. So for example, I, I had an instance. Oh yeah. No, go ahead. Yeah. So let me hold it up here. You can see that that's, you, you see how that's, it's almost like you took it with a knife and cut a square. Yeah. Out of it. So, um, hmm. You know, I've seen that exact look on a number of deer and elk now. And that's with that same head that you just showed, which is our, a single bevel, um, one, one twenty five head there. So no, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. I had a, I had an experience this last year where it wasn't anything trophy or big. I'm not quite to that level of a hunter yet, but, um, I shot a, a little two point and he didn't go very far, but I ended up losing him, um, because of just the way the terrain was. And I thought I had a clean miss. Now it wasn't with your broadheads. Um, this was with a different broadhead, but what had happened was it was such a steep shot downhill. It had gone through his, like just between the spine, I guess just below the back strap. So it was a high hit because I was so high up and it was a super steep shot. And then the angle, he was quartered to me a little bit. So it went all the way through um, one lung, liver, and then out the guts on basically the right butt cheek of the deer. And so the upper hole, obviously there was no blood coming out of it because it was high up and then the other hole was plugged by guts it was crazy because it was a brand new like fresh dumped snow in november of this last year and there was not a drop of blood couldn't find my arrow and i was like well i must have missed I saw all the deer funnel out of the draw etc i looked around for probably half an hour followed all the tracks couldn't find any blood well turns out about two weeks later i found it and it was like i mean he had gone maybe 50 yards but he was down in this little drainage that I couldn't see unless I was actually in the drainage and he had laid down and, and died. And so, um, he didn't go very far. And obviously the trauma, internal trauma was enough that he passed away, but there wasn't any blood trail. And so I could, I could have, I mean, he had to have died there within probably an hour or so. Did the arrow, and, pass, uh, did the arrow pass through him completely? Yeah, completely passed through. 
Yep. Um, and so, and it was with a, it was a kind of a hybrid mechanical. I had a cut on contact head and then it had the mechanical blades that came out the side and it, I mean, completely passed through great, great shot. If I'd had blood, <laughs> I mean, like I said, he expired probably within the hour. You find your, you find your arrow though, right? Mm -mm. Oh, well, you didn't find the arrow. It was so thick. Yeah. To be able to find the arrow, I would have had to bring like a chainsaw up there basically to cut through all the oak brush. Um, but, but yeah, he, um, I, I just didn't get a blood trail. And so that was my biggest thing is, is that the internal trauma was so great, but he couldn't bleed out the top hole. And then the bottom hole was plugged by guts. So that's a big deal for a lot of people, you know, the, the blood trail, um, aspect of things. And, and so I think it's awesome that you, you showed a picture of it and those, having those bigger holes, especially on either side with your focus on, on penetration allows you to have a better blood trail and also the more trauma on the in internals um, allows the the deer to expire quicker or the elk or whatever it is that you're hunting so that was my draw to the single bevel now i've just got to put them into practice um out in the field but i i really like that that's what your research has shown and then obviously people that have put them through animals is showing the same thing so for people out there that are concerned about the two blade broadheads um i think this is definitely a good option for that because they fly great and they've got those those options of penetration and the good blood trails so yeah really our wide heads provide i'd say the best blood trails you know our, our um our standard like solid blade um, 125 or or s or single bevel 125 like you have that's an inch and 16th main blade three quarter inch wide bleeder blade so about 1.8 inches total cut um be similar to like a three blade inch and a quarter broadhead would have the same like total cut of around, around 1.8 inches. Um, our wide heads are inch and three eighths wide main blade. Here's like our wide 125, um, inch and three eighths wide main blade, three quarter inch wide bleeder blade. So you get 208 inch total cut. And yeah, that one just, well, it looks like I have a blade loose from my, from my head here, but, um, anyway, that blade is, um, that cut width just in general is going to get more blood on the ground. It's, um, it's less forgiving at that width. So I don't, it's generally not my first choice for elk, antelope, caribou, things where I might be shooting 60 plus yards. Um, although I do shoot our wide vented really pretty well at 125 and hundred grain. And we have a wide solid at 150 grain on up. Um, but it does make a bigger hole and we're just, and we're just launching, well, it'll be launched by the time this podcast comes out, but, um, we've had a lot of people request the wide single bevel. So pardon the brief interruption guys, but I wanted to invite you specifically to come join me over at Redbeard's fit crew. We've got an amazing community over there, guys, just a private Facebook group where we do weekly calls, where we aim to better ourselves. We share things that we've learned throughout the week. Uh, we've got different individuals that will come and shoot archery events. If you're not into archery necessarily, uh, you're probably not listening to this podcast any longer because uh, Iron Will is all about archery. But if you're not necessarily into archery, uh, we've got other events as well that we've got planned. Um, you guys want to come and join us over at that community, Redbeard's Fit Crew, and of course, First Form Outdoors on Facebook. Definitely go check out that group. Join up. Let them know Redbeard sent you. I want to see you guys over there so you can meet other individuals, form your own little community, 
maybe people in your local area or people that are struggling with maybe some things that you're struggling with as well on your fitness journey, on your health journey, on nutrition, getting outdoors, etc. And you guys can have those chats and be accountability partners or whatever you decide to do, just friends. But either way, come join us over at Redbeard's Fit Crew and First Form Outdoors over on Facebook. And of course, I wanted to give a shout out to all the show partners and affiliates. First and foremost, First Form. Of course, if you're looking for anything from protein to daily vitamins, guys, you definitely want to check out First Form. Uh, use the link down below. Get free shipping on any order over 75 bucks. Also, Alpen Fuel and Heather's Choice are my go-to backcountry meals. Alpen Fuel's got some cool stuff coming out, guys, and Heather's Choice has some of the best food for backcountry meals, clean ingredients on the market. Black Ovis, of course, a conglomerate of just amazing gear from glass to backpacks, etc. Go check out Black Ovis. Use the link down below. Save some money. All in digiscoping, best digiscoping option on the market. A3 archery bowstrings, Cryptek, Kestrel glassing systems, Quattro archery stabilizers, Go Ruck, Sheep Feet Custom Orthotics, Absolute Aid CBD, My Medic, Affect Beard Oil, and of course the Muley Freak Bino Harness. Go check those codes out down below, guys. Save some money and support the companies that are partnered here with the show. Without further ado, let's get back to the conversation. Um, here it is for those of you watching the video, but that will be, we'll be launching that tomorrow. And that's the same as our wide double bellow where we have an inch and three eighths wide main blade, three quarter inch wide bleeder. So two and an eighth inch total cut. But this big cut with the rotation does uh, a lot of damage. I just shot um, a few. Um, pigs with it the last few, last few days down in Texas. And it was impressive. Like I said, that one that went through the knuckle, um, two or three inches of bone, this, this head just cut right through that. And it, it looked like, a, you know, you cut with a laser or something. It was perfectly cut. You could take that piece of bone and, and fit it right back together where it came from. It was just sliced straight through, but yet the blade looked, looked like new. There was no damage to the tip or, or any of the edges with that. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's giving big holes. And with that rotation, I think if, if it's guys that are hunting whitetails, um, or closer range shots, um, me personally, I don't like to shoot the white solid, you know, over 50 yards because it's just not as forgiving. Um, so, you know, what, what that means is with that, if, if you torque your bow a little bit, get, you know, too excited, um, or if, if your bow's not tuned or anything that's going to make your arrow kind of fishtail coming off your bow, that wider blade up front is going to make, make it a little, make it less accurate really is what it comes down to. Um, if you got the right veins on the back, it certainly helps. And it is probably still going to hit within, you know, a couple inches at 40 yards. Um, but it's not as forgiving as our standard blades for those longer shots. That's why I kind of, recommend not using if you're going to shoot really far but i think i think it's gonna be a great whitetail head i'm gonna go bear hunting with this on friday up in saskatchewan it'll be a great bear head um you know pigs things uh things like that it's been working great for yeah no that's awesome and then with the vented uh broadhead which obviously is or the vented wide um isn't the single bevel but the only feedback that I've heard that's not good about it is the noise, which you're going to get from any vented broadhead. I haven't shot a vented broadhead, honestly, that's been quiet, um, quote unquote quiet, whatever you want to call quiet. But uh, what's 
with with that being said, between that and then we'll get into the veins here that you've come up with AAE on. Um, what is it about, or when would you say that noise of the arrow matters more for you? Um, and you would switch to maybe that solid broadhead versus when does noise not matter so much and you'd rather get that cutting diameter? Yeah. Um, yeah, noise, noise that is a tricky thing to figure out. People make general, general statements about it. And what I found out, um, you know, I just sponsored a study with the university of Colorado, um, this past year to study improved arrow vein design for bow hunting with fixed plate broadheads. And part of that study was, um, recording sound and, and analyzing the sound in, in great detail, looking at it, you know, from the bow shot to where it passed in this case, passed over the microphones, but they were about it as like where the animal would be at impact. And then looking at that last, um, 10 yards or so really of not just that impact in the peak, but what are they hearing in that last 10 yards where they could, it's almost too late to react, but where they could possibly still react to it. How loud is it then? Cause what I see is when the bow shoots, um, the bow is pretty loud and you get noise from the bow when that arrow is still like five yards down range, you're still getting the noise from the bow. It's pretty loud. And then the arrow is pretty quiet. And then, and this is no matter kind of what the blades are or veins are from the standpoint of the deer, say at 40 yards, um, arrow is pretty quiet when it's like five, 10 yards away. And then as it gets within that last 10 yards is where the sound flares up. And so we're looking at that with different, different veins, different broadheads. Um, and we're looking at the frequency content and we're, we're looking at it for, um, the peak frequencies for deer, which is a little bit higher than we're looking at for humans as well. But like, does it sound loud to your buddy? If you got him downrange behind a tree or something, and then it doesn't really sound loud to a deer or not. So, um, and you know, what we're seeing is if we try and analyze that data, say 10 yards back from the deer, it's pretty hard to pick up enough difference between a broadhead and a field point. Um, this is like even a vented broadhead versus a field point or a small vein versus a tall vein. When it's 10 yards from the deer that the signals aren't loud enough, different, they aren't different enough to really pick it out. So you could argue that sound doesn't really matter very much because the deer's not going to be able to pick up those differences until it's just about getting hit by that mm -hmm. really um but let's just say they can react to that sound when it's five yards away um which is like you know five hundredths of a second say before it hits them um then when you're looking at it we, that's when you start to see some difference between a vented head and a, a vented blade a solid blade um and then the vents really matter our, our V series with the smaller vents are, um, are probably the loudest head we have. Um, but yet I've, I've shot animals like antelope at 80 yards with that head and they didn't react until, you know, um, the arrow passed, it started reacting just as the air was passing through them. So I really feel like they don't really hear that louder sound from vents, mm. um, vented blades until it's kind of too late personally. Um, our solid blade is the quietest our wide our wide vents i purposely made larger without any any kind of um, steel in, me, in the middle of them that would make them smaller it's kind of like blowing through a tube versus a whistle they're they're quieter for that reason so anyway 
uh, I choose I choose to shoot. I've and I've shot our wide 125 um, and our wide 150 quite a bit, which is the solid version of the same blade. And I choose to shoot the wide 125. I know it's a hair louder. I know it's more forgiving for flight. I can shoot it better at long range, so I choose it. So anyway, I don't worry much about it. Um, but for those that do, yeah, our solid blade, either our, our like our S125 um, or SV125 or S100, um, SV100 are very quiet heads. We see that, you know, they're right down there with the field points in the sound in this in this recent study here. That's awesome. So then, and that's really the only, I guess, negative thing that I've heard people talk about. Now, I don't know if they've, there's some people that have run it and say it just sounds loud. And then there's other people that don't, but again, those same people and me personally, whenever I've run a vented broadhead, um, it does sound louder, obviously than the, than the solid. Um, but I also understand why the vented makes sense, uh, for forgiveness and then obviously for the weight savings, you can get that wider blade at a lower weight of the 125 grains um, rather than the 150. So, so would you say that you're, for the wide blade, you typically try and keep it under 50 yards? Um, for those that may take a shot at a deer or an elk at 60, 70, you would say probably go with the, the solid 125s or 100s um, in, the, in the smaller blade? That's what I generally do and recommend. Now, um, if I happen to knock up a, a wide head and my shot ends up being 60 or whatever, um, I don't really worry about it. I mean, I know that I personally shoot the wides really well to 60 and I hardly see a difference in accuracy mm. versus our standard. Um, and it's actually like out at a hundred yards where I see that my groups are opening up and I'm mm. getting a little, a little bit more drop, a couple inches, maybe more drop um with the wide heads out that far um but that's going to be a bit dependent on the person how well tuned their bow is how good their form is um so it's kind of hard to say and that's why we say in general like 50 yards um if you're you know i think everybody all the testers that we had shoot these when we first came out with the wides we asked them all to test at 60 yards and they all said that mm -hmm. they shot well for them at 60 yards so I think it's, I think it's being pretty safe. I think we're being pretty conservative. I just know that they aren't as forgiving and we want people yeah. to be successful and, you know, hit where they're aiming. Um, yeah. but personally, that's kind of how I decide to knock up too. like, I'll carry a mixed quiver when I'm elk hunting. I'll have currently I've been carrying either or both our S125 and SB125 and our wide 125 in my quiver. Mm. Um, and then if I'm setting up on a water hole or something, I'm knocking the wide. I know they penetrate like crazy, even though they're wider, they, they cut through like no problem. Um, it's just more, you know, longer shots. And, you know, some people like will probably bash me for this, but I practice long range a lot. I know, I'll, I know I shoot to hundred yards almost every time I go out with field points and broadheads. I know I can make, um, I shot say 80 yards on an, on an elk and I, I shot a big bullet at 82 yards and, you know, hit right where I was aiming. It went all the way through them. That was our S125 zip through them right in that vital B, V there into the muscle. That arrow was 20 yards past the elk, even at 80 yards. And it's a big body bull. Mm -hmm. Um, hit right where I was aiming, he ran 40 yards and crashed. Um, you know, I love that head. It flies the same for me as the SB125. Um, 
but that's the heads that, that I knock up first for elk hunting typically or caribou when I know I might get those a bit longer shots like that. Gotcha. And if you're a hundred no, grain head user, the hundred grains are even a little more compact than a blade length and they even fly a little better than the, the S125s. No, that makes sense. And, and again, you know, this is, we're getting in, uh, I ask these questions cause we get into the weeds on these things, but any, basically what it boils down to is anytime you add more material up front, it's going to fly just a little bit different or get a little bit more drag, wind drag, whatever. Um, than if you don't, so like what you're saying, if you go, if you shoot the hundred grains and you go to one twenty fives, there's going to be a little bit more material there. So you're going to notice a little bit of a difference versus the, you know, one fifties to, you know, more than that on, on the, the, uh, the wide. So, you know, just kind of keep that in mind as people are kind of, you know, again, going into the weeds there, what are you more focused on? Right. Do you want more cutting diameter? Uh, are you wanting the single level? There's so many options now that you guys provide, um, that that's really, really awesome. Do you want bleeders or not, et cetera. Uh, but you also brought up a really good point of having your bow tuned well. And there is probably a lot of people that work on their bows at home. And honestly, there's a lot of things on YouTube now that you can go out and check out uh, that's for free information. Make sure obviously it's a reputable source, uh, but someone with experience with a bow that can show you what you need to what you need to work on. There's so many people as well that are willing to um, provide that information that again, go to a reputable source. Don't just ask some Joe Schmo on the internet. And honestly, if you ask me how to tune a bow, I'm going to tell you to go find someone else because I don't know how to tune a bow uh, down to the nitty gritty. I just have an amazing bow shop um, and I'm always open to learn. But you make a very valid point that it does come down to how is your bow tuned and then how are you shooting? Are you torquing it? Um, are you, you know, making those excited shots? Are you punching the triggers you pull through, you know, whatever. There's so many variables that go into it. You need to get your own shot process down and your bow tuned correctly and then worry about, you know, your broadhead flight. Cause if you've got a properly tuned bow, unless you've got a parachute on the front of your, your broadhead, um, it should fly really well at hunting distances, uh, no matter which one you choose. So it's a very, very valid point. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your, you've done some crazy, awesome testing on, on, uh, veins here. So a lot of people might recognize this profile vein as the Max Hunter from AAE. Um, talk a little bit about the difference between this and the Max Hunter um, and why you went with this material, why this vein. Uh, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, and as we transition to that, let me just kind of mention mechanical versus fixed head, then it'll, it'll lead right into the vein discussion. Um, so... You know, there's a trade-off there, mechanical versus fixed heads, right? Um, mechanical, you have less surface area, so your bow can be further out of tune. You can be underspined on your arrow. You can have you can have a bad form. You can have problems with your arrow flight that are covered up a bit more with a mechanical. You know, your mechanical head is going to hit closer to the field point than a fixed head generally when something's going wrong. If your arrow's coming out, kicking side to side or excessively flexing if it's underspined. Um, so it, it can make you look like you're fine and you shoot a mechanical, right? Well, all those things should really be fixed anyways because they're robbing you of energy. If your arrow's fish talon um, on the way there or if there's excessive you know, flexing, um, 
you know, if you're under spine, you're getting excessive flexing like this all the way down range. And you can see that, I've seen that in high speed video on under spine arrows. You know, at impact, you want that arrow to be going in a straight line, all that mass will be going in a straight line to get max penetration. And if you're fishtailing or, or um, arrows flexing, you're really robbing yourself of energy and you're going to reduce your penetration, especially with a mechanical that takes so much force to open too. Um, and, you know, the other thing about mechanicals is that there's so many ways they can fail. You know, they can, they can open up on the shot um, and, and not fly well. They can at impact. They can um, really, you can hit a rib vertical or a thin part of scapula. There's a lot of things that can just stop them there that aren't going to stop a fixed blade. And then if you do hit anything a little bit heavier part of the shoulder blade, um, leg bone, whatever, you know, you're pretty much done there. Um, even, yeah, and, and there's different shot angles and things, like even down through a spine, there's some just th there's some just bone that they don't get through very well, and it's going to stop stop you on a shot, right? Another thing that can happen is, let's say you penetrate, and they may open up, or, well, they might not open up, and you might just get a pinhole, or they might open up, and but, but not lock out, and just collapse right back down. I hear that a lot from people, too, and then you get kind of a pinhole through, and, um, and then they can the blades are thin and long and cheap materials. So they can bend and break or remove that edge. So people feel like I'm going to get a bigger home more, you know, more, I'm going to kill the animal quicker, get more blood, whatever. Well, a lot of times you're not because they don't cut all the way through. They hit a rib and take the edge off. So I'm pretty anti-mechanical in all the ways that I've seen that they can fail. And I think a durable, very sharp, you know, cut on contact fixed blade head is totally the way to go you know, to get better penetration. The negative there, the trade-off there is they're going to be less forgiving in flight because you now you have sent kind of some, you know, wings on the front that can, that can catch air um, or have air pressure that's going to want to push them off. So when you have that at the front, um, I 100% I believe everybody can get fixed blade heads to fly well for them because I've worked with so many hundreds of customers over the years. It's, um, but you just have to have, you know, a well-tuned bow it doesn't have to be perfect just relatively well-tuned bow properly spine and enough vein on the back <clears throat> and you know properly vein arrow and the reason i i sponsored this study with the university of colorado was to i mean i did a lot of my own testing and had things that i was telling people based on that but i thought this is really enough this is really a good opportunity here to help a lot of bow hunters by giving them some independent, you know, university study on it to show them how to get fixed blade broadheads to fly well. And then they can use this, you know, data. And we tested, I think it was six of the kind of top veins in the industry for hunting, along with some prototype designs. And, um, and the one you mentioned is this hybrid hunter. So it's the max hunter profile. I worked with AAE to get this made in a few different materials. Um, including their hybrid material. And um, we included this in the study. So we're at three degree helical and all the veins. And then we looked at, um, you know, accuracy, stability, drag, spin up, wind drift, and sound. With um, We did this with computer modeling, fluid dynamic modeling, and then also, you know, using a hooter shooter uh, shooting machine and having um, high speed camera, lab radar, um, a very sophisticated sound system and you know we took a lot of data and and analyzed it and uh 
you know, really had a lot of uh, improvement here. Um, anyways, uh, we found this hybrid hunter and the max hunter both did the best job out of everything for accuracy, stability. And we saw with this hybrid material, it, it showed some um, improvements over the max material for um, it had reduced drag, reduced sound, re reduced wind drift also um, slightly. So anyways, it was the best performing vane from our study. Um, I worked with Easton to get this um, machine fletched onto Axis arrows, both standard and match grade. We started offering this to our customers. I wanted to just be able to say, here, here's an arrow and vane that's going to fly well with fixed blade broadheads, you know, free to use. That's awesome. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's, it's a very, um, it, it was one of the ones that for me take it. So I took it out to, um, total archery challenge, Texas, and it was in my top two, as far as like where it was grouping at, out at distance, watching some slow motion video. Obviously you've got a lot more awesome tech that you were working with. So you could go down to the nitty gritty, but just basically my in the field at tech um, testing. This was one of the best. And I also didn't do it at a, a three degree. I did a full, the AAE um, easy fletch. So it's like a five or six degree helical um, that, that it puts on there, which in turn, um, from what I understand and what I've seen is out at those further, like 80 to a hundred yard distances or more um, adds a little bit more drag just because there's more of the face of the, um, the, so like this part of the vein is exposed, which is causing a little bit more drag or parachuting, whatever people want to call it out at distance, but it's still, it spins true. It does an amazing job with field points. Um, I'm going to take it out and mess around with it with, with my broadheads. Um, and of course, make sure my bow's in tune before that. So I can't blame the bow <laughs> for shooting. It's gotta be my fault. Right. Um, but you know, it's awesome that you were able to, to come up with this material and then they, you sell these on your site. Um, for those that are interested in, in this one being the fact that a lot of people were, were also, you know, caught up on the noise of max hunters. They're one of the louder veins. People understand that they're one of the better ones as far as steering broadheads. Um, but it definitely is one of the louder veins. So, uh, with that being said, this being quieter would definitely be appealing to people that like that max hunter. Um, and you sell these on, on your site. So we do. Yeah. For the guys that want to fletch them themselves. Um, yeah, we just sell the veins in 40 packs on our website and you don't have to use a primer pin. I can confirm that. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. That yeah, hybrid pretty, material is awesome. Okay. With, uh, with Loctite, you know, four. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then I'm trying to think, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about as far as your products go um, for people that, you know, are interested in, in maybe pulling the trigger on some iron wheel broadheads or uh, your whole system. Actually, we didn't even get into your whole collar system, but you've got an entire system that people can, can use as well. The Snyder core system, or even just the collar with the hit insert. Um, you've got a whole bunch of stuff going on there. So what's something else that you wanted to bring up here before we wrap things up? Yeah, I could probably mention that, you know, with fixed blade broadheads, it's also important that they spin, spin true. And you should really have an arrow spinner and every one of the heads, every one of the arrows is going to go into your quiver with a broadhead on it. You should really spin it, make sure the point of the arrow is just staying right where, you know, you know, draw a line underneath it maybe and look close. Is that point just staying right in that line or is it wobbling back and forth? And it needs to stay on that line and spin true. Um, 
And so that if it doesn't, it can be your your arrow, your components, your broadhead. A lot of times it, it is your components, though. Um, and often half outs, outserts, add a lot of tolerances there. And then it's pretty easy for your broadhead to be off, you know, pointing off one direction or another, you know, just say five thousandths. Well, that's that wobbles enough to make it not fly very well at distance. So the system I like the best there um, for components is um, is our reinforced hit system. And this is taking an Easton hit insert that's down inside your arrow and then putting an impact collar over the arrow, just kind of reinforce it. But the thing I like there is that your broadhead, the shank of your broadhead is aligns to the inside diameter of the arrow. So there's no tolerance stack up. It's pretty much guaranteed it's gonna spin true because it's aligned right there. And so, um, yeah, that's why I really like that system. And, um, and, and that can help you with, with fixed broad, broadhead flight for sure. Yeah. And then if you're running the four millimeter arrows guys, he's got the, the Snyder core system, which in my opinion, um, there's really only two systems out there that I like for four millimeter, um, because a lot of the other systems out there are outserts or, um, half outs because you can't really, there's not a lot that will go into that, the shaft of a, uh, of a four millimeter arrow. So the Snyder core system is basically the iron wheel broadhead with a, um, a pin that goes down the shaft. So instead of having this, try not to cut myself here cause these are all super sharp. There we go. So instead of having this part, it's a, a long pin that runs down into the shaft of the arrow about that far something along those lines. So it reinforces that with the collar um, that you would put on the end of the arrow. And then the, the pin goes down the center of the shaft, creating a lot better, um, I guess, tolerances and just strength in the arrow components for if you're a four millimeter guy. So if that's what you're wanting to run, um, you could get the screw ins with some other, you know, half out, whatever, but I'd recommend the Snyder core system just for that, uh, the strength that it gives that four millimeter. So, um, I think that's, that's about it. Did I miss anything as far as any of your products or anything that you guys, uh, that, that you're looking to put out there? No, I think that's good. I mean, we make some, um, we make some ultralight hunting knives too. People can check those out, um, using our same A2 tool steel and our heat treat process and cryogenic treatment and everything that developed to have, you know, a good, good sharpness, edge retention, toughness. So there's just way about an ounce um, one to two ounces for our ultralight hunting knives. So you can check those out, but, um, no, that that's about it. Awesome. Uh, and is there anything else that you wanted to leave the, the audience or listeners with? Yeah, I think, um, I would say that we have some arrow charts on our website that people can kind of look up. I think there's a, unless you're into using, um, Archer's Advantage or Pinwheel or something already, I think there's kind of a, a lack of information out there on if guys want to put 150 or 175 up front, how am I properly spined? So we put together some some arrow charts that that show that you can pick your total weight up front. So this would be broadhead, collar, you know, insert, everything total there. And we've got charts that go, you know, 125, 150, 175, I think all the way up to 250 right now. So you can kind of look at and, and right in the chart, it'll show you which is the proper spine. It'll also show you what your total arrow weight is going to be. Um, and then your FOC. This is assuming the eastern axis and the 
in Ironwell Hybrid Hunter vein, but it'll it'll give you a, an idea, um, you know, really for your your average setup where you want to be. And so, I'd say um, take a look at that. It can really help you um, pick the right setup. Also, our customer service is great. Bailey Cloud answers uh, um, a lot of questions, and she's she's very experienced, very knowledgeable. Um, bow hunter, bow tech, competitive archer. So she's helping a lot of people with their setups right now as they want to maybe change their arrow setups for next year. That's awesome. Awesome, guys. Well, uh, if you guys didn't know Iron Will before, um, Iron Will Bill, then uh, you do now. He's a very knowledgeable individual, knows what he's doing. He's solving issues that he's finding, and he's he's using his products. He's not just trying to sell you something. He wants you to have a better experience when you do have that opportunity on the bull of a lifetime or the mule deer, whatever it is that you're out there hunting, he wants you to be able to get best blood trails, best penetration and chance of success once you release that arrow. So definitely go go check out Iron Will and uh, Bill's information that he's putting out there on his site. I'll leave all the links down below. Uh, thanks again for your time, Bill. I really do appreciate you hopping on with me today. Yeah, you bet. And our website is just ironwelloutfitters.com. And that's our um, Instagram too, if you're into, into that. And Facebook, Iron Will Outfitters. So thanks Perfect. a lot, John. Appreciate it. Yeah, of course. And I'll leave all that down below, guys. You guys go check it out. Hope you have an amazing rest of your day. And of course, get out, live your life, and love it. There we go, guys. That wraps up the conversation with Bill from Iron Will. Hope you enjoyed that. A little bit of nerding out about archery, why he created the company, the different items that he has as far as broadheads, componentry up front, etc. The The arrows that he's building out with Easton as well. Um, definitely go check out Iron Will and what he's got available over there on the website. If you guys have any questions, shoot me some questions at, on Instagram. You can shoot me an email. My email is down below. I'd love to hear from you. Of course, come join us over at Redbeard's Fit Crew and First Form Outdoors on Facebook. And if you want to support the show, but you don't necessarily have any funds to go purchase new gear with the codes down below, just simply follow the show, share it, guys. That's how we're going to get the word out. Share it verbally, share it on social media if you're over there, and leave a review. If you're on YouTube, go subscribe to the channel. Check out the gear reviews over there as well and the conversations, just the face-to-face -face right there on YouTube. You'll definitely enjoy that. I'd appreciate that. And drop some comments. If you have any questions, you can leave them over there as well. I respond to the comments over on YouTube. Thanks so much for your support, guys. Couldn't do this without you. Really appreciate it. Let's keep this growing. Keep it moving through 2023 as I keep bringing you more content. I want things to continue to keep rolling smoothly and giving you the best that I can. Best version of me. Best conversations out there. Thank you so much. And of course, go make some memories with your family. Go enjoy the outdoors and get out. Live your life and love it.